Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. And if you're wondering why I sound a bit bummed up, it's because today I am Hay Fever University's Kevin Day. Uh, I don't know why it's so bad for some reason, maybe because all the windows are open, but I do apologise, Kieran. Questions today, how are you? I'm good. It was my uh, granddaughter's third birthday yesterday, so <gasps> we had some spectacular cake. We had rainbow cake and it was... Boy, was it full of e-numbers. I was, even I was buzzing for about half an hour afterwards. <laughs> and that's the beauty of grandkids. You can just hand them back, can't you? You get them full of sugar, <laughs> yes. just give them back to their parents and go somewhere else. <laughs> uh, as I say, it's questions there. We've got some great questions today, Kieran, including one that's got so many numbers in, I thought it was a binary question. <laughs> I have to be really careful reading it out. Uh, our first question, though, comes from Connor Downey. And Connor, Connor says, if a player stays at a club for longer than their original contract, what happens to their value on the balance sheet? The whole transfer fee will have been amortised by the end of the original contract. So do they just carry a net book value of nil or are they revalued? Right. Um, well, Connor, if if this is a case of a player getting to the end of his contract and then sort of sitting out the summer expecting Barcelona to come in and buy him <laughs> and that doesn't materialise. Um, and, and therefore he says, well, I'll take another 12 months from the club and the club's happy to go along with that. Um, it, it's effectively treated as a free transfer acquisition. So therefore there'll be zero value on the balance sheet um, and uh, there'll be no amortisation going forwards. If, however, he signs a new contract, a contract extension with one or two years left remaining on his contract. And many clubs do this um, in order to protect themselves because if if the player is halfway decent, the last thing you want is that player walking away um, on a Bosman uh, at the end of the contract. So quite a few clubs do this. I mean, Manchester United have a habit of of having one-year extensions, which they can trigger. And they try to preserve, they try to do that to preserve value. It does come back to bite them on the bum. I think if you, know, if you look at the likes of Phil Jones, and, and I'm not here to to uh, have a pop at Phil Jones, um, but he's he's not had the greatest time in, in terms of contributing on the pitch for the past few seasons. And, and United ended up effectively having to pay his wages for another year because they put through these contract extensions. But if that does take place, what happens is when the contract is extended, what we then see is the the existing value, the value at the date of the contract extension is uh, spread over a longer period of time. So that reduces amortisation, but often coincides with an increase in wages. Because if the play is halfway decent, what you're going to do is to, is to try to tie the play down for an extra couple of years by by rewarding them with higher wages. <clears throat> Don't be having to go at poor old Phil Jones of Manchester United. Not when Harry Maguire's there glaring at you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> I almost felt sorry for Harry Maguire. We we played Man United in a friendly in Melbourne last week, and he got he got booed by about eighty thousand people. 
<laughs> it must have, must have astonished him. I've come, I've come all the way around the world, and they're still booing me. Why is that? It's well, f- the, wor- the worst thing for me is, yeah, when I go on Twitter and I regularly see Maguire out trending, I, I, I start to get, I start to get twitchy. I think, oh Jesus Christ, producer guy has replaced me with Swiss Rambo on the podcast after all. <laughs> uh, Our next question comes from Craig Whitting. Uh, that's a great name. We had two good names so far: Connor Downey, Craig Whitting. Uh, name number three is not so good, but yeah, it's a good question. Uh, Craig Whitting says, I have a question about my club, Kingsland Town, and the current dire situation we find ourselves in. I have real worries about our future, given the concerns around our owner, Stephen Cleave. Now, last year, during the pandemic, he very openly stated we took out a loan of around £500,000 from Sport England to get us through the season and beyond. Now, to me, as an average fan, this seems a huge amount of money for a club on a scale of ours. Over how many years are we likely to be burdened by this loan? And was it really necessary to take out a loan of that size, given the size of the club? Now, what I find interesting about this question, Kieran, is that uh, to an outsider, it seems that the owner, Stephen Cleave, did the, an eminently sensible thing, taking out a loan to get through the COVID season. But Craig's right, it does seem a lot, a lot of money for a club that size. Um, yes, and in, in the sake of transparency, I've I've had dealings with uh, Stephen Cleave. Uh, I've been on. He's he's got a podcast which Has is he? called I, "I Bought a Football Club." Ah, um, okay. And uh, yes, yeah, St- Stephen is uh, a character, shall we say? <laughs> he 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 owns he owns another company as well as uh, Kingsland Town. He owns a company called No More Smells Limited, which. He's, he's I, I'm not quite sure what in, what what industry that involves, but he, it's certainly a different name. He, t- he takes quite a basic approach to naming his companies, in, doesn't he? And his podcasts. <laughs> I bought yes. a football club. No more smells. Well, it does exactly what he says on the tin. As as does I suppose Kingsland Football Town. You know exactly what football club. You know exactly what you're getting there, don't you? Kingsland Football Club. But he didn't name that. So there you go. Yeah, true, true. Um, so Kingsland Town, uh, known as the Linnets. So you know, and any. Any football team named after a bird, we've got a bit of sympathy with uh, yeah. you, know, you and I. So yeah, there's, there's a positive there. They, they were relegated in uh, in in season twenty one twenty two. As far as this loan is concerned, Craig, uh, initially there there were grants given by the government for clubs in the national league, um, and then when COVID uh, kept kept bumbling along. Um, the the government did make loans available to uh, two clubs in the national league via Sport England, and I think a, a, a practically every club uh, in, in in the national league certainly considered it. A lot of them have taken it out, including some you know fairly uh, significant clubs in in the national league, such as as Yeovil. But Yeovil have, do have clearly a bigger fan base. Um, in, in order to allay Craig's fears to a degree, what I would say is that my understanding and, and trying trying to get definitive figures out of this is practically impossible, is that the loans are very low long term and they're very low interest. So from a cash flow point of view, I don't think they're going to be a threat to the future of Kingslands Town. Clearly, it makes getting additional finance more complicated. Um, I know Stephen Cleave has sort of had a bit of a grumble that that crowds at uh, Kingsland Town have, have fallen to below a thousand, um, and I think he he's concerned about you know the, the 
the the viability of the club under those circumstances. And, and remember, that was uh, less than a thousand in in the national league. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're going to be in the national league north, I believe, this season. And it's and it's not it's not a natural fit, Kings Lynn, in national league north. Yeah, we, we've we've spoken about uh, regionalisation yeah. of of football. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, clubs sort of from the sort of the what you might call the industrial north. Kings Lynn's a it's not a criticism. Kings Lynn's a long a long way from everywhere. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, where where I think they had three thousand turned up when they played Grimsby for their last home game. Um, a lot of people came down from Grimsby because Grimsby were trying to go for a playoff place and get get back to the EFL. Um, and, and we've got we've got some Grimsby exclusives coming out on our next podcast, by the way. Um, but uh, it, it's I, I think uh, Kingsland Town are going to have to cut their cloth uh, appropriately in National League North, and uh, the I think fans' expectations have to, have to be sort of built into that. Yes, we're talking to the owner of Grimsby Town on uh, our next pod. I, I presume, Kieran, when Sport England gave Kingsland uh, this loan. Sport England would have had their own criteria about how much money a club could afford to pay back, wouldn't they? They wouldn't be giving this money out willy-nilly. That's, that's right. I, I think uh, the, the loans broadly were, were up to up to half a million. Right. Um, and, uh, you yeah, know, from what Craig said, it looks like uh, Kingsland have taken that amount out. Um, I know some clubs have gone back to Sport England subsequently and borrowed further money. Uh, Yeovil are in for over 800 grand at present. Um, but they will have done some uh, due diligence. They will have done some bank background checks. I, I just hope that those background checks were uh, slightly more uh, significant than those which were used to uh, give out PPE uh, contracts, <laughs> which 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 uh, e- even Uncle Terry uh, got involved with. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I saw his source for, for PPE equipment, and uh, uh, even I was thinking, I'm, I'm not putting that mask anywhere near me. Yeah, I, I, also, I don't like the idea of Uncle Terry's sauce either. It sounds, <laughs> sounds slightly wrong. Uh, Kings Lynn Town, how do they spell Linnets? Are they spelling Linnets with a Y or...? Uh, no, 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 no. It's it's uh, it's L-I. It, uh, it, it is that sort of small uh, small bird uh, sort of, yeah, we're talking uh, sort of goldfinch style, I would say. I know, I know, I know what a Linnet is. I, don't, I, don't, I might be an urban boy, but lovely little bird, Linnet. Nice little yeah. singing voice as well. Uh, I've decided, though, that my favourite nickname in football, uh, which I discovered this week, is Bonnie Rig Rose, uh, the new club in uh, League Two in Scotland. That Ooh. is superb. No, no, well, their nickname is the Rosie Posey, which is a, a, <laughs> a fantastic nickname. Scottish football does names so much better than we do. Um, our third question comes from Paul Walton. And Paul, I apologise if I implied that your name wasn't as good as Craig Whittings or Connor Downey, because Paul Walton's a lovely name. And I say that because Paul Walton starts his question by saying, I absolutely love the podcast. I often use things I've heard on the pod to seem knowledgeable to friends and family. That makes two of us, Paul. Uh, apologies if this has been answered before. It hasn't, Paul. It really, <laughs> generally, really hasn't. This is the numbers question. Uh, Paul says, I hear a lot about FFP and how it's taken into account over a three-year period. What I'd like to know is, is this a three-year rolling period? For example, 2017, 18, 19, then 18, 19, 20, and then 19, 20, 21? Or is it three years in chunks? For example, 17, 18, 19, then 20, 21, 22. Uh, I believe I've just reprogrammed C3PO by doing that as well. <laughs> but, uh, 
It's an interesting question, actually, Kieran, isn't it? And it's is there a simple answer to it? Uh, th- th- there is a simple answer, which is then gets slightly more complicated as a ah. result of COVID. Um, ah. The the assessment period for profitability and sustainability is a three-year rolling period. So um, one year drops out and is replaced by the, the most recent one. And, and that can actually cause problems because if a club has sold a player for a, a decent fee, that, that contributes towards FFP in, in the year of the sale, in the following year, and the year. And then when that sale drops out, you, you can really have your, have your trousers pulled down uh, from an FFP perspective. COVID has uh, really made this, uh, which is relatively straightforward comp- calculations, uh, a bit more of a pain in the ass. And the reason for that is that under COVID, what the Premier League has done is it's combined 2019-20 and 2020-21, uh, worked out the total, averaged them, and then tre- is treating them as a single year. So now... Clubs are being effectively assessed over four seasons, but only three of those seasons count. So as you can imagine, myself and Swiss Ramble have gone into uh, <laughs> spreadsheet heaven <laughs> and uh, uh, in relation to this because it allows us to, to just uh, you know, use a few more functions on Excel. Um, and uh, you know, I, I appreciate that, that Paul wants to sound knowledgeable to friends and family. As soon as I mention this to the Baroness, you can imagine her eyes glazing over and, and another bottle of Prosecco <laughs> is being reached for and, and necked. She doesn't even bother to put it in the glass uh, as, 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 as I, as I ex- try, try to explain my excitement in all of this. Uh, I wish you hadn't mentioned Prosecco, Kieran. It's only quarter past ten in the morning, but uh, that would have been a, great, a good way to get through that answer. Uh, it, that is, what, what, what was the logic of, of the Premier League doing that then, Kieran, during COVID? Um, part of the logic was that for 2019-20, if you, if you recall when COVID first hit, football stopped in, yeah. in March. Yeah, true, yeah. And, and we only actually played 32 games. And then for 2020-21, effectively from the 1st of July 2020 to the 30th of June 21, which is when most clubs formulate their accounts, they included 44 Premier League matches. So so the, the figures were very distorted. They weren't really particularly comparable. So therefore, the Premier League says, let's take a look at those two seasons effectively as a single accounting period was a sing- single assessment period um, and, and that removes the distortion from having different numbers of games in one season compared to another and that was also further amplified for those clubs that had made progress in Europe because the the Champions League and, and the Europa League that added to the number of games which were being crammed in to the uh, the accounting period which which covered 2020-21. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that, that, that did a lot of lifting. That <laughs> <up>. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's a sort. Of, that used to be my response to Ed. Ed, when he was a, a kid, used to go to these great flights of fancy, which I would, for the first couple of minutes, I would be really interested in what the dragon was doing in Streatham Hill. And then after <laughs> after another fifteen minutes, oh. um, our next question comes from Nick B. Uh, which is either somebody who wants to be mysterious or somebody who's got the shortest surname we've ever had on the show. Uh, could, I could, like- could, it, could it be Nick Beggs from Kajagoogoo and he is as he's a celebrity? Because we we may have had Boy George's brother. 
write to us last week. Yes, we've we not managed to establish that. Yeah. And this could be, you know, uh, and this, this question is based on the 80s. So, yeah, Kajagoogoo, 80s. Yeah, I'm, I'm just put, yeah. putting two and two together here. I would, I would have thought, with no disrespect to Nick Beggs, if it is, he doesn't have to really shorten his name anymore, does he? I would have thought. <laughs> I would have thought Nick Beggs could quite happily go, here's my, here's a question from Nick Beggs. <laughs> um, yeah, oh, Kajik, I Jesus, the 80s had a lot to answer for, and Kajigugu was definitely one of them, wasn't it? <laughs> it was, that was a decade we had to grit our teeth and get through, wasn't it? Uh, Nick B, who may be Nick Beggs, I don't know. Uh, it's, a, it's a question I do like. It's an interesting question. My dad always recalls people having the same conversations back in the 80s that people do now, and somehow I can't imagine Nick Beggs dressed as Kajigugu having this conversation with his dad, to be perfectly honest. Uh, but it's along the lines of being shocked at how much money is in the game and how much clubs pay for transfer fees. I think people have been having that argument since 1890, to be honest. I was wondering, says Nick B, when Nottingham Forest bought Trevor Francis for £1 million in 1980, making the first million pound player, although there are rumours that Brian Clough told him he'd only paid £999,999 because he didn't want him to have the burden of the, the million-pound transfer. How much was that transfer fee in terms of turnover at the club, and how does it compare to modern-day transfers? For example, Ronaldo is on a huge amount of money, but still a small amount compared to the annual turnover of Man United. Was this the case in the 80s, or was it actually a larger amount of the club's turnover? That's a good question, Kieran. It's a good way of putting into context that, that million-pound transfer, which was, for younger listeners... I mean, that was, for days, that was proper headline news. Everyone was going, that's it, game's gone, ludicrous. You can't, that, that's that got to be the, the end of the, these large transfer fees, but obviously it wasn't. But at the time, it seemed like a, a, an inordinate amount of money, didn't it, Kim? It, it did. Wasn't wasn't the previous record 512,000 for David I, Mills? I believe it was, yes. I know so, uh, it's not long after Steve McKenzie became the most expensive teenager at a million pounds yeah. as well, so... Yeah. Um, so uh, this this was this is great for me. There is there is genuinely nothing I enjoy more than going into the archives of Company's House at six <laughs> o'clock on a Saturday morning. <laughs> Faraday said, what, "What are you going up for?" I said, "Oh, Trevor Francis, nineteen eighty. Yeah, I've got to check to get Forest turnover." And she I, just, yeah, yeah, I can imagine another bottle of prosecco was it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, she, I, she's got she's got one of those sort of you know those sort of those emergency things that you have for alarm. She has an emergency <laughs> bottle of prosecco. She just, she just hits the hammer. Oh, Jesus Christ, he's off again. I suppose you have to go at six o'clock in the morning, Kieran, because the queue, I suppose, about 10 o'clock for the archives of Company's House gets a bit a bit out of hand, isn't it? I mean, it's like Wimbledon on final day. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, Nick's question is, for me, it, it's a genuinely fascinating one. Really? Um, uh, Trevor Francis's fee was over 60% of Forrest's total revenue uh, that year. And and to put it into context, um, uh, Jack Grealish is the first one hundred million pound player uh, in English football, as, yeah. as as we established last year. But if we were to put his transfer um, as the same proportion of revenue as that of Trevor Francis to Nottingham Forest in nineteen eighty, Manchester City would have had to pay Aston Villa three hundred and seventy three million pounds. Wow. 
which which shows that it it was it you know it it was a reason for being talk of the town for so yeah. long because it was it was absolutely incredible compared to the way that that clubs were were operating in those days so yeah i mean jack Grealish cost 100 million but but uh, to match trevor francis they would have had to set out uh, 373 million plus his hairband costs of course <laughs> well i remember uh, distinctly, the the press conference. Well, I say I, I say I remember it. It's on every football nostalgia program that's ever been on ever since. <laughs> but the the press conference because Brian Clough turned up late because he'd been playing squash. He's still, uh, and then for most of the press conference, proceeded to take the piss out of Trevor Francis for the way he was yes. dressed, and told him to stop slouching, and said he'd probably pay too much money for it. Which, is a, which he which he afterwards claimed was was a way of trying to take the the stress out of the fact that he paid a million quid. Trevor Francis, but yeah, he, he won him the European Cup, so yeah, it's probably money well spent. Mark Midling has a a question also. I was going to say his question on the finances of football, but that's essentially what we're here for. Um, it, it, it's sort of like about turnover, I suppose, isn't it? In a way, in percentages, proportions. Which team spent the most money per goal last season, or the most recent season? You have figures for, and what is the Premier League record for cost per goal? Um, well, Mark, I, I can certainly give you the figures for 2020-21. We, we've not seen any clubs report 2021-22 yet. Um, and by far, the, the most expensive, in terms of what I'd refer to as player costs, so this is going to be wages plus transfer fee amortisation, um, it, it was in respect of Chelsea uh, 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 under Abramovich, and it cost them... Eight million five hundred and fifty thousand pounds per goal. So oh, yeah, you think that we have to wait a long time for goals sometimes <laughs> oh, for our club. Um, we we're we're around sort of yeah the two and a half to three million pound bracket. But uh, Chelsea were by far the most expensive. Um, more than it cost their fans or cost their their, their owners effectively uh, over six and a half million uh, for for Fulham who were in second place. So Chelsea were way ahead. Um, and the most effective club were Leeds United because remember that first season they were back in the Premier League and, and they were losing matches 5-4, they're winning matches 5-4. So uh, they certainly got uh, more bang for their buck than, than any other club uh, in the Premier League in that first season. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, go on. I, I will. I will go back into the archives. Is this, is this going to involve a lot of additional spreadsheet work, but I don't mind. You're just making life hard for yourself, Keir. It, it, it's just the, the, the Baroness is going to be a mess by the end of the day, Keir, and it's only, it's only half past ten already. She's two bottles down. Well, um, well and, and which she's she's going to uh, she's going to a vineyard uh, oh. vineyard trip at lunchtime. So, <laughs> you sure that's wise. <laughs> yeah, you'll be picking her up, will you? Literally, in more ways than one. Yeah, yes, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. 
Our next question comes from Tom Webb. Uh, that's a great name, Tom Webb. Uh, for some reason, it, it makes him sound like he was one of the nicer boys at a boarding school in a Charles Dickens book. Uh, Tom, Tom, Tom Webb. Tom Webb. And I think this question is absolutely fascinating, uh, and possibly the idea for a film like sliding, like sliding doors. It's just like a football sliding doors moment. As Tom says, I'm an Aston Villa fan. My friend is a Derby County fan, and we often discuss how pivotal the 2019 playoff final was. Uh, we often discuss what a mess they both made of Covent Garden. But never mind. Um, uh, <laughs> How things might be different had Derby won instead of Villa. Given Villa have gone on to sign Coutinho and Derby in administration, and, um, well, they have gone down to League One, so this is obviously a, one of our older questions. This seems particularly pronounced. Both did sale and leaseback agreements on their stadiums and had spent heavily in pursuit of reaching the Premier League. My question is, would Villa have faced the same financial difficulties had they lost the playoff final and remained in the Championship? I think it's a really interesting question because... As he, as Tom says, since 2019, they, they couldn't have gone in more spectacularly mm. different directions, could they? I think it's a cracking question and, and quite a poignant one as well. Um, if, if we take a look at uh, Aston Villa, their wage bill in 2019 was £95 million. They only generated income of 54. So they had, they had put the house on red, in, in effect, in, in trying to uh, get up that season. Um, if they had not succeeded, there would have had to be a huge fire sale because the losses that they'd racked up uh, in respect of uh, uh, in respect of FFP, they, they they made a loss of sixty nine million quid that that year. They did quite significant losses the two previous seasons. They were right at the edge of FFP, and and under those circumstances, you either you know you you're either up before the beak on a charge, or alternatively. Um, you just have to sell off the family silver. Remember that they had Jack Grealish in those days as well. Um, so you know that they would have had to sell him for considerably less than that they they sold him for a couple of years later. Um, and Derby Derby County had they had they won that match, they would not be they certainly wouldn't be in League One, but they wouldn't have been in administration. They would not have been sued by their former captain after you know, a night out on the tiles. They would not have been subject to. Uh, the, the the stresses and, and and traumas that the club has been through in terms of not just the the fan base but the staff there as well. So it, it's probably the most significant match in in football, sort of domestically, in my view, uh, over the course of the last decade. Uh, in in respect of uh, the implications of the club, and, and and people might say, well, hold on, you know, what about the Aguero goal? Um, where Manchester City, that was great for, for Manchester City, but Manchester City were already in the Champions League. Financially, that goal didn't make a huge amount to them. From a fan's perspective, in terms of winning the Premier League for City fans, clearly that's, that is going to be one of those things they're going to take them with them to the grave. But the, the Villa match was, was absolutely essential that, um, that Villa won, and it was it was absolutely essential that Derby won as well. Um, and uh, you know, Derby haven't remember haven't published any accounts since that that match took place because the the finances were such a mess that they knew that they, as soon as if they did publish them, they would be subject to even more scrutiny than perhaps they originally have have had. Wow, the most significant game of the decade. That's going to be the strap line for the film. That'll be <laughs> that, that guy with the deep voice who does the who does the adverts. The most significant. No, I can't even. That's, even hurt me even doing that. That's. I mean, that's 
that's a big claim, Kieran, isn't it? Really, that is arguably the most important game of the decade. From a financial perspective, um, I would certainly uh, take that view because the rewards were so big and because both clubs, as as Thomas said, both clubs had gambled um, and they'd gambled so much that neither could afford to lose the match. Yeah. Um, we're on to our penultimate question already, Kieran, because ironically, uh, producer Guy uh, on our prodding is trying to come up with a system where we get rid of our backlog of questions. And his system so far seems to be to ask fewer questions on each pod <laughs> rather than more. Uh, so we, thus adding a couple of weeks to the waiting list <laughs> every time we do the pod. And, you know, we had a uh, – not long ago, Kieran, we speculated as to whether Nick B might actually be Nick Beggs. Mm. I, I don't think we need to speculate that much. Uh, when I say that the next question is from Michael Jordan, uh, <laughs> I, I, I think we can. I think we can safely assume that it's not that Michael Jordan, uh, especially as he says as a Leeds fan. Now we we have sort of covered this question before, but not at this level of football. So I'm happy to answer ask it again. Mm. Uh, Michael Jordan says he must get some stick every time he tells people what his name is. Well, yes. if, it, if he's a if he's a five foot three white chap, he just <laughs> it's, it's just not right, is it? Really? Uh, as a Leeds fan, we're used to seeing practically school aged children in our match day squads this season. There have been a couple of times when we've had fifteen year old Archie Gray, grandson of the wonderful winger Eddie Gray from that great dirty Leeds side of the seventies. Uh, I added that, not Michael Jordan, by the way. Given that children's replica shirts can't have a gambling sponsor on the front, is there anything similar stopping a fifteen year old player from wearing a regular shirt? in the games this came up I think because Derby I think it was Derby mm. uh, it's amazing how they keep slipping back into this pod but Derby I think in an FA Cup game played quite a few kids and they had a gambling sponsor on the shirt so what is what is the regulations around this Kieran? Well the regulations are that those shirts which are deemed to be children's or youth shirts cannot have the gambling sponsor but if you've got a tall 15-year-old, they might be wearing a small men's shirt and therefore they would uh, be wearing the sponsor. I think for the purposes of the match, they would be given a bespoke shirt um, and under the terms of the the agreement between the sponsor and the football club, I think they would be obliged to wear that shirt. Um, so uh, I, Archie Gray, if he did play at the age of 15, would be wearing, is it Spobet or whatever it is, um, and, and therefore, he wouldn't be able to avoid uh, using the gambling sponsor. I'd, I suppose as well, Kieran. Uh, although it'd be a, a happy day for the the company that did sponsor the children's replica shirts, would they have to pay extra money? I mean, it would look very odd if you had nine players mm. with the the gambling sponsor and, and two with the local softball nursery that sponsors the children's replica shirts. But would would that local softball nursery or whatever it was, would they? They would presumably have to pay extra if they're suddenly getting a payday with Premier League uh, coverage, wouldn't they? No, no, because they they have agreed to sponsor the the children's shirts, not the children's shirts in the Premier League. So that oh, okay. they would actually oh, get okay. free publicity. And I think under the Premier League rules, every club in the Premier League, as as a sort of an add on here, is allowed for one match to not wear their traditional shirts 
and use uh, and can use effectively a, a sponsorship for a for a charity or a local cause. Um, and that's normally something which is agreed between the football club, the main sponsor, and uh, you know that the 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 club sort of uh, community arm. Now, some clubs do this. Some clubs don't, but uh, yeah, I think it's always an encouraging thing to see, um, and it shows a bit of humanity from all involved. Yeah, I, while we're on the subject, Kieran, there's a lot of uh, fuss, for want of a better word, on social media this week with the the new Forest kit, which had no sponsor's name on the front, which and it's an indication of how far we've travelled. That it looks really odd to see a Premier mm. League kit with no sponsor on the front. Brilliant, I have to say. The shirt mm. looks fantastic. Uh, is that because they haven't announced a sponsor yet? It's not, it's not as some people are suggesting that they're not having a sponsor, shirt front sponsor this season, is it? No, no, I would fully expect them to have a sponsor. It, it's simply a case of negotiation um, and trying to extract the maximum value. And it, and it could be that the people that they've spoken to to date um, have not uh, not agreed a price which Forrest considered to be appropriate uh, given their return to the Premier League. And remember, they were they were sponsored by Football Index. Yes, um, and, and that that went uh, horribly wrong. And then I think it was Box T yeah. uh, became their their subsequent sponsor. Um, it, speaking to commercial directors, um, it is actually quite hard work to. For a non-elite club, non-big six club, yeah, I think Forest are elite. Let's face yeah. it; they've 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 won the uh, they, they've won the European Cup twice. Yeah, they've got two um, stars on their shirt. Exactly. Um, but yeah, it it, uh, it it's it's tough because everybody's trying to lowball, and the clubs are client trying to, especially uh, for a, a momentous year such as Forest are having. Uh, the clubs are trying to get what they consider to be a fair price, and it's a bit like negotiating a transfer fee for a player. You know, eventually, something will be agreed, uh, but it could be fairly late. I remember Huddersfield Town a couple of seasons ago; they they practically went into the start of the season with no sponsor, um, and and then you get one um, a little bit later. Yeah, your is your new shirt look like it's got an H on the front. Yeah, yeah. I know you don't drive cars, but if ever you're on a motorway, you, you know the symbol for uh, the start of a motorway and the end of a motorway, which is a sort of no. look, looks like a giant H. That that's our kit. It's it's uh, yeah, it's 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 not gone down well, should we say? Good. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> I'm sure you'd be delighted. It's <laughs> too much white in it, Kieran. You, you know, you know, couscous really stains. Those couscous <laughs> stains really show up on white. I, I presume, Kieran, it, if if Forest were to have got on a new sponsor last season while they were in the Championship on a on a three year deal, I presume the contract would say along the lines of if we get promoted, you're paying more money, would it? Oh yeah, yeah. There are huge step ups. Yeah, um, you'd normally uh, the the minimum I think you'd expect to get from a front of shirt deal uh, would be around about one and a half to two million in the Premier League. You are you are only paying six figures in the Championship as a rule. Do you know what that one and a half two million figure, Kieran? I know we've discussed this before, but I think new listeners would be really surprised to learn that it's that low. For most Premier League clubs, you would you would assume, I mean, for certainly for a club the size of Forest with the history of Forest in the Premier League, knowing that in the first six weeks at least they're going to be on TV a lot, you'd assume there'd be people falling over themselves to sponsor the front of their shirts, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, and again, this is something we, we've had 
discussions with in terms of, of the commercial guys, they say the, the going rate for a gambling sponsor is probably in the region of six to seven million. Trying to get money out of other sponsors uh, uh, who, who don't get the same benefit, and, and that's why there's this ongoing issue in in terms of gambling. Uh, it's it, it's not the only kid in town, but it's it's the one with the biggest pockets. Yeah. Our last question comes from Ian Crawford. Uh, Ian says, last season, my club Portsmouth sold John Marquis to Lincoln City, where he signed a contract to the end of last season, which is when his contract with us would have expired and was not expected to be renewed. Rumour has it that we probably contributed to his wages since he was apparently our top earner. What would the accounting logic be for our receiving a fee for him and contributing to his wages? Given the length of his contract, the fee presumably must have been nominal. Uh, yes, this is one of these strange things where uh, a player moves uh, either on loan or or is sold, and uh, the, the the selling club is uh, encouraging the player to go, and and they will try to make some form of financial contribution to that. Now, it could be that Portsmouth paid up the rest of his contract or his basic contract and therefore he didn't receive any bonuses and on top of that he would have been receiving money from Lincoln City because he had a contract for employment there um as far as the fee is concerned under those circumstances it we, we, we are going to be talking um it'll either be close to zero or it will be linked to performance just in case Portsmouth realized that yeah, sometimes you know that some some players just, it just doesn't work out at Club X, and it does work out at Club Y. If you made a contribution at at, uh, at Lincoln City, then they may have had to go and pay additional sums. I, I remember when we ha- uh, we signed a guy called Mark McCammon from Millwall on loan, um, and and uh, he I think it's fair to say he he was uh, he, people started calling him Super Mark, and and when he joined the club because he scored on his debut. And then he didn't score for the next twelve games, and he became supermarket trolley. Such was his <laughs> lack of uh, lack of mobility um, in in the team. But uh, we we somehow managed to, to avoid relegation, and we had to go and pay Millwall twenty five grand for the privilege um, of the loan. So it could you, it could be something like that. Um, I, I think Lincoln did Lincoln get into the playoffs last season? I, I can't I can't remember. Um, but uh, you know, there there will have been some incentivized payments in in all probability under those circumstances. Imagine that a Millwall player in a Brighton team. Think of the sticker you'd have got at Sellers Park. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine a set of circumstances that would make a visiting player more unpopular. Um, thank you, Ian, for the question, and thank you for everybody who asked the questions today. A good set as usual, and thanks to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to join them to make a small monthly contribution to the pod, then please go to Patreon.com/slash/PriceOfFootball. And just a reminder of that big news from last week: if you you are one of our existing Patreon subscribers paying £3 or £5 a month, you should have received a message from us last week about how you can subscribe to the ad-free version of the pod. And that ad-free version of the pod is now available to any new Patreon subscribers who go for the £3 or £5 a month contribution. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. Our next live show, as we said, will be taking place at Home Park, the home of Plymouth Argyle, on Tuesday the 27th of September. Tickets are genuinely selling fast, uh, and it, particularly since we made the announcement on the last pod. But go to the Plymouth Argyle website, and you should still be able to get one of the few that are remaining. And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. 
Well, thanks as always, folks, for the support for the show, whether it's from Patreon or other means or just uh, just keeping us on our toes on social media. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's all good for us. Um, if, if you want to uh, if, if you want to send us some love and positive vibes through another means, which isn't going to cost you any money, you can go onto your app in respect of your podcast uh, provider. And if you could give us a review, uh, give us five stars if you think we're worth it. And, and that, that helps us with the algorithms of Apple and Spotify and so on. And it, and it genuinely helps us in the charts and, and adds to our credibility when we're when we're trying to get guests to come on the show. Because that's that's the first thing they ask. Who the hell are you? Uh, you know, what, what are your numbers? Um, it doesn't matter what you say uh, in in respect of the review. It, it's the I think it's the the stars that count. Um, so you, you could say, well, yeah, there's not been many Roggins re- mentioned recently. <laughs> so therefore, we, we'd rather we'd rather have the show presented by Nogbad the Bad from Noggin the Nog, and he was he was badass oh, and dirt and Dirty Den from EastEnders, and it, we we wouldn't. We wouldn't be able to uh, criticise that because yeah, we, we, we appreciate the uh, the love of wrongons on this show. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'd say I met Dirty Dan, but I didn't because he's a fictional character. But not bad to bad. He was he was proper Oof. badass, wasn't he? Considering yes. considering how slowly he moved in that two D animation, <laughs> it, was, it was terrifying. Um, thank you, everybody. See you soon. Bye. I'm for the